Hi everyone, welcome to episode 14 of Exploring Astrophysics with me, Vikram Bhamre. Today I am joined by Dr. Niall Jeffrey, a researcher at ENS in Paris. During our talk, he spoke about the Dark Energy Survey and some of the applications of machine learning that goes into projects like this. What kind of research are you currently undertaking? Uh, currently, I'm generally interested in understanding how the universe works uh, from observations both of galaxies and from the light in the very early universe as well, which is known as the cosmic microwave background. And basically by looking at this light from the very early universe and looking at progressively older galaxies and younger galaxies, we can see how the universe evolves through time. And that tells us something about the way the universe started and the way the universe is growing. Uh, so it's really looking at the universe in these slices of time, and then we can find out about the underlying rules of the universe. Mm -hmm. What sort of things, when you're observing the universe in, the, in, these, in these times, what are the things you're looking for? And what, what are you able to glean from what you're observing? So with galaxy surveys, so I'm involved in a survey called the Dark Energy Survey, which is an mm -hmm. international collaboration uh, with people working on this data from a uh, telescope in Chile, which images has imaged hundreds of millions of galaxies. Mm -hmm. And the, the, what you can do then is that once you've imaged these galaxies, we can use the trick that when galaxies are very far away, the light has taken longer for, to get to us than galaxies which are much closer. So when we look at these galaxies very far away, we're actually looking back in time. <laughs> but what the interesting thing about the universe and one of the great mysteries that we don't yet understand really is that the majority of the matter in the universe is completely invisible. So 80% of the stuff in the universe matter is this dark matter. And it's, a bad, it's, it's badly named really because it's called dark matter, but you think of something dark as something that you can't see through, like something that's kind of has a dark color so you can't see through it, but actually it should be called invisible matter. So when you look at these galaxy surveys, you're looking at these lights, whereas what you can't see is this huge, huge scaffolding of dark matter in what we call the cosmic web. So mm -hmm. there are these big empty patches of the universe called cosmic voids. And then you have long filaments of dark matter and clusters and halos of dark matter in which galaxies cluster. Mm -hmm. So if you were to just take the images from the dark energy survey of galaxies, you'd only be getting a small picture of what's going on. So there's this dark matter in the universe um, and but we do have a trick that we can use to see the dark matter, basically, and it's this effect called gravitational lensing. And even though dark matter is invisible, the way we can work out it is there is because of its gravitational pull. So we can see it pulling on galaxies physically, so galaxies are moving in a way that tells us there's some dark matter there because the gravitational pull is pulling of the dark matter is pulling in galaxies. Mm -hmm. But there's also the pull on the light as well. 
So this is the effect of gravitational lensing because it's like a lens where the light is bent by the gravity rather than through glass. Um, so if you look at a galaxy that's very far away and if there's some dark matter in between you, the observer with your telescope and that very distant galaxy, then the light traveling from that galaxy all the way through the universe to you will have gone on a path that's been slightly bent because the dark matter has pulled the light. Mm -hmm. So if you measure the shapes of galaxies across the sky, shapes of millions of galaxies across the sky, you can work out what this pattern is from dark matter, and then you can use it to work out where the dark matter is. So what we've done in the dark energy survey is we've been able to use this effect of measuring millions of shapes of galaxies and then working out where the dark matter is, this invisible dark matter, we've kind of unveiled it, and now we're able to make a map of dark matter, just using only the shapes of galaxies that we can see, using this gravitational lensing effect, we can then make a map of the dark matter that we can't see. So it's pretty cool, really. Uh, why, why, what are the theories behind the fact that dark matter is not like evenly spread out throughout the universe and forms clumps and filaments? What is like, why, why is that the case? It's the same, almost the same as why the galaxies clump. When you see a galaxy in the universe, usually there are other galaxies nearby. Mm -hmm. And that's because of gravity. And so, because even if matter in the universe starts off, after the Big Bang, the matter in the universe started off very spread out with a few uh, bumps, a few lack of uh, small bits of non-smooth distribution of stuff in the universe. Mm -hmm. So it's generally smooth, but a few ripples. Mm -hmm. But then gravity pulls mass, massive objects towards, it, uh, towards each other. So where you start off with a, a small bump of matter in the early universe after the Big Bang, as you run the universe forward, that small bump of extra stuff pulls other matter towards it. So that bump gets bigger. And then it gets bigger, so it's more massive, so it pulls even more stuff towards it. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of rich get richer, poor get poorer. Because if you start off in a bit of the universe with less matter in it, then the matter that is there will get pulled away by a nearby lump. So this is what forms the cosmic voids. So if you start off with a slight lack of matter in the early universe, all of the matter that you do have gets pulled away. And if you start off with a part of the universe with a bit of extra matter, then it pulls all the matter out of the voids into these dark matter halos. Mm -hmm. And between the halos, you get these thin strips called filaments where the matter is being stretched, where the matter is kind of flowing along roads almost kind of highways where the matter is getting pulled between the filaments, uh, along the filaments between halos. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So um, I guess, why is it that dark matter, like what do you hope by you can accomplish by mapping out the way dark matter is present in the universe? What will that uncover in the future? Well, there's kind of, a few different things you can do. One of them is that you can study, you have a map of the dark matter in the universe. So when, when in the dark energy survey, we made this new map, 
which is the largest ever such map on the sky, the largest ever map of dark matter using this lensing effect of galaxies. We now, we really have a map, like you have a kind of map of a, a, a kind of a new land that you've never seen before. So you can go into that map and ask questions. So if you find a cosmic void, mm -hmm. you can say, well, what's the shape of a cosmic void? You can ask, well, how what, how do cosmic void what shapes a cosmic void how do they change when they get to the edge of the void when they get closer to a halo so you can ask questions like that very kind of astrophysical questions questions of what shapes things are how do they behave how do they evolve and study how galaxies live within that void so there's lots of kind of interesting questions like that mm -hmm. but also within the dark energy survey which is not the dark matter survey you can, there's something else you can learn, which is about dark energy. So in the same way that when I looked at the galaxies that are very far away, they were further back in time. And the galaxies that are closer, uh, I'm seeing them more recently. Mm -hmm. If I make a dark matter map with the very far away galaxies, I'm getting a map of dark matter at an earlier point in the universe. And if I make a map of dark matter using the very close by galaxies, I'm getting a map of dark matter as it looks more like now. Oh. So I can see the way that those are different from each other. Obviously, they're in different places in the universe. So I can't, they're not the same bit of the universe. So I'm not actually seeing the same part of the universe at different times, but I'm seeing different parts of the universe at different times. But I can say what kind of structures live in the universe when it's much younger and what kind of structures live in the universe as it evolves and as it gets older. And looking at those structures, it tells me about how the universe is expanding. And something, the other big uh, mystery in cosmology at the moment is something called dark energy, which is causing the universe to expand faster and faster at an accelerated rate. So by looking at the distribution of matter at different times in the universe, you can study how that acceleration is happening. And maybe it can tell you something about the underlying laws of physics that describe dark energy, which is what we call the acceleration. And we call it dark energy because we don't understand anything about it really. Uh, we don't, it's not explained by the laws of uh, quantum physics or the laws of particle physics that we, we can test in the Large Hadron Collider. So we need to kind of probe and understand this mysterious dark energy using um, these maps of the universe at different times. I guess, uh, so when you're looking out at the universe, you, you get a 2D image, don't you, of, of what you see. So how are you able to differentiate whether the dark matter is close, like quite close to the earth or quite far away? How are you able to? Well, you, using the fact that if I make the map using far away galaxies, the dark matter is then, if I use galaxies at a certain distance away, very far away, I'm picking up as the light from those galaxies gets to me, they're being bent, and then I observe them. So when I reconstruct my map of dark matter, I'm seeing all the matter between me and those faraway galaxies. Mm -hmm. okay. And then I look at some closer galaxies, and then I make a map of all the dark matter or all the matter in general between myself and those closer galaxies. So in effect, those, those dark matter maps are further away from me in distance. And of course, therefore in time.
Okay. But you're right. I can't. I, it's not completely three dimensional. I've got a I've got a two dimensional map in slices uh, going away from me in distance. So sometimes people call it two and a half D rather than three D. Mm-hmm. I guess what is your uh, specific role in this in the dark energy survey as well as the dark matter survey? So the so the within the dark energy survey, I've worked with others on constructing these maps of dark matter. Uh-huh. So using the shapes of galaxies that have been effectively photographed by the telescope in Chile, where many other people have worked on taking these images of galaxies and measuring their shapes. Mm-hmm. And then what I and others have then worked on is using this specific pattern of shapes across the sky to recover what the dark matter map is. So we end up with a pattern of shapes across the sky, and then we have to work out what map could have caused that particular pattern. Mm -hmm. And so there's, uh, and as part of this work, uh, there's a lot of interesting um, uh, science, of course, but there's also a lot of interesting uh, developments and things we can use from machine learning and artificial intelligence as well. Mm-hmm. to use these vast data sets uh, and try and add in extra information that we know about what the map should look like in a statistical sense. And then that in turn means that our reconstructions of the dark matter map are even more precise. So how, how exactly do you use um, machine learning and deep learning in this? Um, yeah. So there's a few different ways of Doing it. So a lot of machine learning has already gone into the process within the dark energy survey. People use machine learning for all sorts of problems. For example, if you take a, an image of an object uh, in the night sky, how do you know whether it's a galaxy or not? Because it could be a star. Mm-hmm. Some galaxies are round. So there's a lot of machine learning that goes into that. There's machine learning that goes into working out how far away the galaxies are. So in every step, there's a lot of machine learning that goes in. What I'm particularly interested in is use is combining the fact we can know something about what the universe should look like already to make the maps even better. So we can use machine learning methods to learn from 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 simulated universes, for example. So I can run simulated universes on my computer. And then I can get an AI system to learn what universe, what possible universes could look like. And then when it sees the actual data, it's better able to make those maps closer to the truth. Mm-hmm. So it knows that certain shapes shouldn't exist. So it's able to learn possible ways the universe could exist. And it's able to do it in a way that with a pen and paper, uh, a normal physicist just wouldn't be able to do. You cannot write down the equations for the possible ways the universe could be because the mass is very complicated. There's a lot of um, uh, problems that just cannot be solved in this way. But by using uh, machine learning techniques, we're able to actually solve these problems that before were impossible. Mm -hmm. How accurate are these simul- simulations that you use? And how, how exactly do you like come up with these simulations? Because 
uh, surely you'd need like data about the universe th that we know of to then create the simulations, but then you need the simulations to get data. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it's a problem of, um, yeah, it's, it's a potential problem, but then if you think about what it means to learn something about the universe, when you're asking any question about data or trying to find out some property of the world from observations, you are always living in what generally people call a model. So even if you ask how tall is that person, you've made a lot of assumptions already about what a person is. You've assumed the concept of a person, you've assumed the concept that a person has height. Presumably when you say how tall is a person, you measure them from their toes to their head, typically. You don't measure them from their little finger to their thumb. So there's a lot of assumptions that go into any statement about uh, a property of the universe or a property of the world from observations. So, and we call that a model. In this case, what's our model? Well, there are some things that might be, we should just take on face value. Like we have to assume that gravitational lensing is real, for example. If we think that light is unaffected by um, gravity, then we can't do gravitational lensing at all. But of course, other people are doing experiments to validate that that's true. So it's, it's not we're just pulling things out of thin air, but it's within any given um, observation, we have to make these assumptions. So then there's a more complicated assumption about what we assume in our simulations. So we assume Einstein's theory of general relativity describes the universe. So we start off uh, with the Big Bang, where we have this smooth universe with a few ripples, which were caused by uh, quantum effects during the Big Bang. And then the universe is evolved according to Einstein's theory of general relativity. Now, those are all assumptions that I've put into my simulations. But if any of them are wrong, it means that the thing I then infer afterwards will not be the true given the universe we live in. They're only true given the assumptions I've made in my model. <laughs> but that's kind of exciting because then you ask the question, well, which bit of my model can I pull out? Can I assume that Einstein's theory of general relativity is wrong? And maybe I could say that gravity works differently. Maybe it has some extra component of gravity that we don't understand because we know that gravity is not complete because it doesn't match quantum mechanics. This is the great, one of the great problems of physics. The quantum mechanics describes very small things. Gravity is generally a very big thing, but they don't match up. The equations don't match up. So you could say, well, maybe I could change the equations of gravity. Well, that's fine then in this situation. I just run another, sim I write down my new equation for gravity and I run a new simulation of the universe with my new, with my new theory of gravity in it. And then what that then opens the door to is then we can ask an AI system, uh, use machine learning to say, well, now you've actually got the real data from the real universe. And you've seen simulations of the universe with general relative, Einstein's theory of general relativity. And you've seen, and the computer, the machine learning system has seen examples, simulated examples of what universes look like when gravity is not described by Einstein's theory of general relativity. It might have another theory. So what the system can then tell us is it can give us what probability each different theory has of being true given the data that we've then observed. Mm -hmm. 
So we can use it to run different simulations with different models. You could come up with any crazy model you like. You run a simulation and you compare it to what the data is from the real universe. And then you learn something extra as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, in these simulations, I suppose you're not always going to be changing the fundamental like theorems of physics that you sort of employ, like the general theory of relativity or the laws of gravity. But so what are the things that you sort of tweak in, in your simulation? Well, some people do change those those things. Some people really believe that, well, uh, like on a, on a bigger level, we know that Einstein's theory of general relativity is not correct. Oh. Because we know that the equations that describe quantum mechanics, describing small things like what happens when electrons meet photons of light, what happens? That's, that, that's described by quantum mechanics. But if you use those equations with the equations from general relativity, your equations break down. You end up calculating things are infinite. It doesn't make any sense. You're, the universe does not look like what those equations tell us it should look like. So we know that general relativity as, as a theory is incomplete. So some people are really interested in trying working out what kind of changes you could make to general relativity to extend it to somehow incorporate these uh the fact the fact that the underlying theory is not quite right but i'm not actually one of those people so what i generally do is assume general relativity is correct but even within general relativity even with einstein's theory of general relativity there are things that we don't know because general relativity tells you when you have some you how things move it tells you uh how objects move within space-time and it tells you how space-time is moved itself or how it is uh, varied by those objects living within it. That's, that's how gravity works by Einstein's theory of general relativity. You have this uh, space and time is distorted and that is how gravity happens. But so even assuming that's true, we don't know other things. Like we don't know how, what the fraction of dark matter to dark energies in the universe. Because Einstein's theory of general relativity doesn't tell you anything about how much dark matter there is. That's something completely different. So there are those things that we do vary in our simulations, like how much dark matter there is, how the universe started off, um, how those initial ripples in the universe after the Big Bang, what were they like? Because we don't know what they are. Uh, so we have to learn all these things from the data. So within our simulations, we do let those things vary. And then from our machine learning systems, we can then work out what those numbers are that we didn't know already. We can learn something from our data. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm getting the sense that these simulations, they have like quite a lot of parameters and tweaking that, that goes into them. So surely like to be able to simulate a model from its beginning, to where the universe is now would require quite a lot of computational power. Is it, are there methods that are used to like cut down on that? It does use a lot of computational power. There are mathematical tricks effectively that people use to calculate, to run these simulations forward. But at the end of the day, the simulations of the universe are relatively simple but not because they've been simplified by us. 
it's actually because the 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 equations that describe the evolution of the universe are themselves actually quite simple in many ways like a human brain is far more complicated than the cosmic web the cosmic web as a structure is quite simple it looks very complicated but the underlying equations are extremely simple you could write just a few very simple equations down and that would describe the evolution of dark matter in the universe to make the cosmic web once you get to slightly smaller things, and by smaller, I mean like the size of galaxies, then it gets very complicated because things like stars start getting made and stars are very complicated. There's very complicated physics that goes into stars. But on the big scale, the cosmic web, the equations are very simple and elegant. And so are not that tricky to solve, really. They're tricky to solve on a kind of brute force. You need a big computer to solve them because if you want to simulate a big block of the universe but they're not that tricky or complicated to solve mm -hmm. okay uh i think that sums up all of my questions i had to ask you thank you so much for speaking to me it was very interesting hearing about this uh project um yeah okay no problem it's been i hope it's i hope i was clear and i hope i've uh well i enjoyed it anyway yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, especially the, the stuff about the simulations was very interesting. I never thought about it like that.